8.55am on the dial and web streamed on www.3cr.org.au. Green Left Weekly Radio. There is one newspaper that is independent of powerful interests, and that's Green Left Weekly. It's a people's voice committed to human and civil rights, environmental sustainability, democracy, and equality. It presents ideas mainstream media won't. It's the leading source of local, national, and international news analysis and discussion and debate to strengthen the anti-capitalist movements. It exposes the lies and distortions of the power brokers and helps us to better understand the world around us. And good morning. Good morning to you. And you're, good, you're listening to Green Left Weekly Radio. Um, it's um, 7.02. Well, it's not actually 7.02, is it, really? Um, I'm pretty sure we started on time. They lied to us. Yeah, well, it's again, actually, nah, it's actually, I'm pretty sure it's the correct time. No, nah, it's 7.01 a.m. That clock um, above us is um, wrong by one minute. It's a lie. Um, so yeah, we have a, we're in, um, today for another hour and a half of Radical Radio presenting you, um, the latest analysis, um, left wing analysis and current affairs and, you know, the stories of resistance of, um, those who are fighting for a better world. Um, and I guess before, um, we announce what's coming up, I'll like to acknowledge, um, that FreeCR today is being broadcast to you from the Wandry land of the Kulin Nation. Um, like to pay our respect, um, to elders past and present and that this always was, um, always will be Aboriginal land. All right. So we have a pretty packed program. Um, um, we have um, a number of guest speakers. We're going to be talking to the Secretary um, of um, the Victorian MUA to talk about the current developments in um, the dispute um, that workers are currently having with DP World and maybe talk a bit more broadly about what the MUA in Victoria is doing industrially. Um, and then our second interview, we'll be talking to a woman called Sue McKinnon um, just to give, a, to give a bit of a, a um, you know, a story um find out a bit about a campaign um, to, um, against logging in King Lake. Um, and then we'll be talking to comedian um, Sean Bedlam to be talking, um, to give a bit of a last minute sort of plug and um, talk discussion about the upcoming Green Left Weekly comedy debate that's happening tonight. Um, and then I guess the first story I kind of want to talk about actually is um, the current um, Probably listeners have probably heard um, that the state government, um, this has been a long ongoing struggle around the, the sacred tree site, the the, 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 the sorry, the Jabberon, the Jabberon um, where um, protesters have um, set up camp there and members of the Aboriginal community have set up camp there for like the past several months or almost, I think it's been since the past year actually. Because um, I remember it's going as long as going till last year, mm. and uh, essentially what's happening is the state government is going to go ahead with um, their proposed development um, and basically remove the protesters and the camp. Um, so many people are kind of mobilising right now to go to the camp. I mean, it's all in Ararat, so it's a bit hard um, for a lot of people to get there, but. It, 
people who are in a position to go there, um, I definitely encourage you to go along. Um, and cause, you know, we, we can't, um, we, you know, if we don't fight, you lose. We have to always stand up, even if the, the situation doesn't seem that optimistic. But I, I'll tell you what, um, one kind of observation I made is, um, Ararat News, um, posted some poll on, um, on their website about, um, on Facebook, um, asking, you know, do you support, um, the protesters being moved on? Or removed, and the, overwhelmingly the results were in favour of no, of over seventy three percent. And now, you know, you, you know, uh, these kind of polls can only go kind of so far. But I think that is actually a good indication that there is broad community support for this campaign. Um, that extent goes well, well beyond um, the, the existing kind of left, because I um, because when you think about it. Um, you know, like a poll of over 4,000, that over 4,000 people, if um, 73% of those people are all voted no, um, then I think it's actually quite, um, I think it's um, um, quite indicative because even if all of the left consciously voted no in that poll, it wouldn't have been enough to skew the result to 73%. So I think it is definitely um, shows that there's broad community support, especially potentially in um, in the a- actual local area. That you know, there's always these stereotypes that you know people of you know in the country are, are, are racist. Um, you know, they don't they're not left wing. They don't they. They're rednecks, etc., and actually show that I think this actually demonstrates that actually no, that's not actually the case. And ordinary people do actually care about important um, issues such as the um, such as the, um, um, preserving sacred trees hmm. in defense and um, Aboriginal rights. And uh, I think shout out to the CFMEU, um, the the CFMEU construction division here in Victoria have uh, pretty actively supported the. Um, the Jabberung protest camp, um, you know, over the last couple of months, so, and, and have offered sort of free printing, so that's, uh, good form from the CFMEU, and I know that the, the sort of Western region organiser for the CFMEU is, is actively sought out to talk to people at the camp there, so that's, that's always good to see some proper union solidarity, not just a Facebook post or two, but materially helping out with the picket, and, uh, yeah, good stuff. Hmm. And some, um, another, actually, I guess we can play a quick announcement, and then we'll move on to this other, um, news story that, um, happened in Puerto Rico. <laughs> Don't panic, there is a Planet B. Come along to a sparkling night of progressive comedy at Greenleft Weekly's annual comedy debate. Join Masters of Ceremonies, Rod Quantock, with Sean Bedlam, Duff, Fiona Scott Norman, Hellchild, Kirsty Mack, and Tom Tanuki. Tickets are $50 solidarity, $30 regular, $22 low waged, and $12 concession. There'll be a bar and the opportunity to buy a delicious dinner. Friday the 26th of July, 6.30pm at the Brunswick Town Hall. Don't panic, there is a Planet B, a fundraiser for the radical newspaper Greenleaf Weekly. Bookings are essential, phone 9639 8622 or go to trybooking.com forward slash BDHTX. Green Left Weekly is a 3CR supporter. 
Right, you're listening to Green Left Weekly Radio. Um, and um, I guess before we go on to our first interview, um, I'd like to talk um, one of the big developments that has happened internationally has been what um, basically has been what has re- um, recently happened in Puerto Rico where one of the largest mass mobilizations in Puerto Rico's history exploded on July 22nd. Um, and what happened, to give a bit of political context, um, Barry Shepard here writes in an article for Green Left Weekly, um, almost 900 pages of transcripts of leaked online chats between former Governor uh, Ricardo Rosillo and his cronies were published on July 13th. Um, the Centre for Investigative Journalism um, published documents. And essentially, these um, the vulgar, um, violently misogynist and homophobic chats included Rosillo mocking the dead victims of Hurricane Maria, which devastated um, Puerto Rico in 2017, more than 3,000 people over more than 3,000 people die. Experts go as high as 8,500. Rosillo minimized the death toll and tried to cover up his government's culpability um, due to its poor response in coming to the aid of the injured. And well, what these sort of documents sort of confirmed was, um, for a lot of the people, um, this confirmed that there was clearly, um, you know. Ma- Massive rampant corruption in the, in the Puerto Rico government, which then prompted, um, massive, um, kind of protests. And of course, four days after the release of these documents, over a hundred thousand people marched in San Juan. Five days later, on July 22nd, a truly historic a mobilization of half a million people swept through the capital, shutting down a major highway and paralyzing much of the city. A huge protest given that, you know, over only 3.2 million people inhabit Puerto Rico. And of course, many people left work um, to join in what became in part a political strike. Um, the New York Times reported Puerto Ricans um, streamed into the capital on buses and some from the mainland in a spontaneous <coughs> eruption of fury over the years of recession since 2005, which included mismanagement, natural disaster and corruption that have fueled a recent exodus to the mainland. And um, live coverage, um, and I guess one of the impressive things, considering the, the status of um, Puerto Rico as basically being essentially a US colony, is, you know, the, pro, um, the live coverage of the protests showed that a, um, there was a sea of um, Puerto Rico flags in the march, but no US flags. Um, and, um, you know, um, um, you know, in a... Um, it, in some of the interviews with some of the demonstrators, one protest, protest, um, protester, Jocelyn um, Rilla-Quiz, said this, this struggle is not only to remove Ricardo Rossello, Rossello is the decoration. We need to remove the group of corrupt thieves who demonstrated that beyond being thieves and corrupt, they are inhumane, making fun of people's suffering to enjoy this in, in cell, to enjoy themselves. This cannot be forgiven. And, um, and, and another said, we're here fighting to get him out of office because what the governor did cannot be done to the people. Um, it, if he doesn't leave, there's going to be stronger consequences. And, and so, and essentially three days after the great strike and mobilization of, um, half a million, um, Rosillo resigned and we'll have to wait, um, and I guess, 
coming out of that, we're going to have to wait to see what happens next. Um, as many people, especially young people, have, you know, this is kind of like the first opportunity where they've got to experience kind of the power of what a kind of mass mobilisation and people power can kind of have in terms of impacting on, on, on politics in a country. Yeah, it's pretty, uh, pretty exciting stuff. Good to see. Mm. Mm, disgusting, the, the, you know, the, the circumstances that triggered it. Yeah, what do you reckon? Should we play some announcements and then see if we can get uh, David Ball on the phone? Yep. All right. Three CR, always bringing you the latest union news. They're coming after us at the moment. They want to get rid of penalty rates, the big push from businesses. They want to get rid of all the things that you and I have fought for. So there's tens of thousands of jobs gone, contracted out, to sham contracting arrangements. On 8.55am and on the web, 3cr.org.au. I just think that it's ironic that the state of Victoria want to treaty with Aboriginal people but have no issue in destroying our sacred sites. War is devastating on the environment. In peacetime, the military is a huge user of fossil fuels, a huge driver of nuclear energy and ultimately the architect of nuclear weapons. Subscribe to 3CR in 2019, fighting for social justice and environmental change. And to all the people that are so afraid of the solutions to climate change that they choose to live in denial instead, the current solutions to the climate emergency are much easier to cope with than the outcomes that will come if we don't. Feed Radical Radio. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 94198377. Follow, follow the sun. Which way the wind blows. Right, you're listening to Green Left Weekly Radio. Um, on the line we have Shane Stevens. It's... The, who is the State Secretary of um, the M- Maritime Union of Australia. And um, we have him on the line um, because um, there's been a big um, dispute um, that has been happening in um, against DP World. And so we have him here on the line to talk about, you know, what's kind of happening um, there. Good morning, Shane. Good morning, Zane. Good morning, Jacob. All right. Um, so I guess... To start off, can you give us a bit of um, background on the current dispute um, that is happening with DP World at the moment? Right, just uh, briefly, uh, DP World operates four terminals around Australia, uh, Brisbane, Port Botany, Melbourne and, and Fremantle, and we're all engaging in um, EVAs at the moment. Now, what we have is we have started Part A negotiations, and Part A negotiations cover all all ports, so it's it's uh, part of the EVA that um, affects the 1,800 members Australia-wide. Now, these these negotiations kicked off about August last year and um, we have since about 30 meetings with the company around the country and um, to date they uh, have conceded to nothing. Now, we, we have lodged with them in the beginning a considerable amount of um, claims, which we have over time, culled back to a 
about 40 odd. Now, keeping in mind, most of them have no cost attached to them. They are claims that we're just trying to tidy up existing claims, tidy them up and sort of have have wording around them that there's no loopholes that can be exploited, uh, as we've seen over the last four years um, of the current agreement. So, yes, while there is some cost to others, um, the company has conceded to nothing and um, it's been very frustrating over these 30-odd meetings that uh, we've got nowhere. We've gained no ground. As I keep saying, they've conceded to nothing. And at the end of the day, they keep pushing on us a few things. Um, one is they're telling us they want to outsource our cargo care. Now, cargo care is an historic uh, area of work for the Warpies that uh, goes way back to the start of containerisation. And it's looking after the refrigerated um, containers that come and go from in, from all ports. Uh, the company want to outsource that to private contractors, and uh, essentially all that is is um, more casualisation and um, just getting rid of um, you know jobs, permanent jobs that um, we've enjoyed for lots of years. Mm. And. Um can you? Um, the next thing is what? What has been t- the type of action that you've kind of um, taken, and how, what has been kind of the response for um, for the workers and the company? Well, we we don't go into this lightly. Um, you know, but protected action is a, a last resort, um, and and ideally it's to draw attention um, and get the company back back at the negotiating table. Now, what we've done. We've had some uh, protected action back in March, which was the overtime bans, um, uh, upgrade bans, etc. And um, while it was an inconvenience to the company, it really didn't get them motivated. So more recently, two weeks ago, we introduced some more um, overtime bans, upgrade bans, etc., including a, a four-day stoppage. Um, um, all, all the company did was they didn't really respond to us. Well, they didn't respond to us. All, all they did was just uh, go harder with their demands at um, outsourcing our jobs and um, delivered to us a notification of change, which uh, gives uh, it, it's a legal document they put on the, on us, the MUA, about the, their employees um, that they will go ahead with outsourcing. So. Um, what we're doing now is uh, we, we're continuing the bans, we're continuing to offer the company um, whatever it takes to make, and uh, still they're not responding, they're just uh, still persisting with um, with this outsourcing. Mm. Which, which yes, I've got to say, is one of uh, a number of things that, um, other things that they're refusing to acknowledge. Yeah. On the whole, um, outsourcing issue, um, I'm pretty sure I might have read this actually on one of the MUA social media pages, um, but there's been this whole broader political issue with a, a lot of these companies that, um, you know, the kind of excuse they're kind of giving to sort of cut um, work to, um, to cut workers has kind of been this issue of automation. And then, but then I'm apparent, but then I'm apparently I'm reading that, you know, the automation technology is in a sense not even quite there. Um, and there's actually still a necessary, uh, um, amount of work, um, their workers are still necessary, um, to carry out some of the work and hence why, you know, strike action in your case would still be effective, um, because they still need some of those workers to, um, to cover the work, despite the fact that they're using this sort of scare tactic of automation. Um, I wanted to kind of hear what, what, what sort of your comments on that. 
Well, that's correct. Automation is very is an integral part of this um, these negotiations. We want a, a clause in our part A agreement around automation. Um, Port Botany do have a clause that we're happy with um, uh, regarding this issue. Uh, the MUA wants to see that clause um, covered for all ports. So it's not something new. It's something that we just want to expand to the rest of the ports. Now, I have to say, automation is pro progressive. Uh, we're, we're all for that. We just don't want to see jobs lost for the sake of it. Now, with, with an automation clause, it's things like in, in if, if uh, automation comes into play, that we have adequate uh, redundancy um, surrounding that. We want to have um, input into more training to uh, mitigate redundancy so we can have our current members um, train up in those roles. So it's not something we're um, ignoring. We, we understand progress and automation is part of it. But um, we, we just want our, our members covered um, in, in the... Um, if automation comes in. And, and it's true, you can't fully automate a port. There are a lot of jobs like lashing containers and, and removing and putting in pins for containers, part of the lashing process. They're all manual jobs. Um, we, we do see some ports around the world that have automatic um, straddles and stuff, and we, we, we get that. But um, the key is just looking after workers and, uh, and, and their conditions. Mm. Um, Zane, would you, do you have a question you'd like to ask? Um, yeah, I'm just... Yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's mm. <laughs> bloody early in the morning. Yeah, yeah. yeah it is a bit early. I, look, like, I'd like to say another, another issue we have. We, we we're, um, want to include also in our um, EBA, we want a clause in there that identifies domestic violence. Um, the company are rejecting this. They're telling, they're telling us they have a policy and that's okay. But we, we understand that company policies and procedures can change from month to month and um, we don't like the idea that um, a policy around domestic violence, um, it, just, it just leaves it open to a HR person to, to determine whether people um, are deserving of um, paid time off. Particularly with um, DP World, um, they are accredited uh, with White Ribbon um, as White Ribbon Ambassadors, um, and we uh, we we see that as a conflict because how can you uh, be accredited with White Ribbon when you won't even include a clause, a simple clause, outlining uh, domestic violence? Um, not good at all. And how would that clause work? Uh, it would just, the clause would just identify that um, where, where there is domestic violence in the home, that um, that um, they, the person and people involved um, are entitled, and um, the company will will give them paid time off to uh, assist them. Hmm. Um, all right. I've thought of a question. Um, the, the so the current industrial framework forbids um, like solidarity strikes, basically. What do you think of that sort of constraint on your organising and to what extent are uh, Wharfies that, that work with other stevedores aware of what's happening at DP World and, you know, wanting to show their support were it not for these kind of uh, anti-democratic laws? Well, that's right. Um, we lost the right to strike a long time ago um, and that 
we all believe that that's a fundamental right to every worker in Australia to be able to strike. Now, it is difficult um, with secondary boycotts, etc. But what we want from the other other stevedoring companies and uh, all workers and people that are supporting us is just you know through social media and there's a lot going on there just to give us support and um, acknowledge the solidarity and um, and whenever they can um, uh, when, when we do have some stoppages and stuff just come down and join us because we do put it out there and um, it uh, that, that's what we can do just. Uh, you know, community rallies and um, peaceful assemblies. That's what it's all about. Yeah, nice. And what's uh, what's coming up next in in Melbourne on that front? Is... Well, we're, we're continuing some some of our bands. Uh, we still have the overtime bands and upgrade bands and uh, continuous work through gang bands, etc. So um, we're hoping that uh, very soon the company will be uh, ringing us and say, yeah, look, let's get back to the table. Um, we, mind you, these bands we've got are for an indefinite period of time and um, they can be withdrawn as soon as the company decides to sit down with us. Yeah, okay. Uh, another question too, actually. So there was the uh, Cube Ports um, strike and industrial action last year. And a big part of that was anti-social um, timetabling arrangements where workers are being forced to do really um, kind of crazy shift changes, a day shift here and then, you know, less than 24 hours later, a night shift. Uh, is that part of your log of 40 claims that you're talking about? Is that Because that seems like a big issue on the wharves. It is. It is. Um that's the rostering arrangements. We um, each port has their own in their Part B um, section. Of the EBA has their own rostering arrangements. Um, the container terminals at BP operate operate separate, differently. The Cube, which is a bulk and general uh, facility, and bulk and general um, stevedoring is um, all sorts of cargo that basically aren't containerised. So while it's still stevedoring, um, they're, they're operated separately. Uh, we have um, reasonably good uh, rosters in the container terminals, and unfortunately, with the irregular work for bulk and general uh, warpies, such as a cube, uh, over time it's been very difficult to rein that in with their roster because it's all irregular. Um, yes, it is. They could work three different shifts in four four days, and um, they have unfortunately 24 different start times. So it, it's it's. It's something that has got out of hand. It is very antisocial, but um, we still have to chip away at that too. Yeah, okay. But it seems like that's not quite such a uh, full-on issue at DP World. No, no, it's not. Well, having said that, though, we do have uh, each port with DP World um, uh, in negotiations with fixing their, their current rostering arrangements. All right. And what's the best place to for people to look out if there is more community picnics or kind of uh, support needed? Uh, how can people keep an eye on that uh, for for the coming weeks and months? Okay. Um, as I said, the, all the social media outlets like uh, Facebook, um, the MUA, um, Victoria Facebook site, the National MUA Facebook site, um, um, Trades Hall site... Um, yeah. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I guess um, we'll um, um, conclude this interview then, but do you have any kind of final comments you'd like to make, um, Shane? Uh, 
I just like to say, look, our, our claims are not outrageous. They're all, they're all, um, a lot of them, as I said earlier, are all current claims. We just want to get right. And any any new ones um, are just establishing our conditions and stuff. We really haven't even got to the pay issues. It's just talking about um, what we have and um, in, in conditions now. That's all. Yeah, nice. All right. Well, um, yeah, keep uh, keep fighting a good fight. And thanks heaps for talking to us this morning. All right. And thank I'd just like to congratulate uh, you both. Um, the, uh, the Green Left Weekly for the great work you're all doing there. Ah, oh, cheers, comrade. Yeah, okay. thank you very much. <laughs> good on you. Have a good day. See you. Yeah, you too. All right. Yes, uh, Shane Stevens there, the Vic Secretary of the Maritime Union of Australia. And, uh, yeah, DP World currently uh, on strike around the... Um, or taking industrial action around the, the uh, Part A of their um, enterprise bargain agreement that they're negotiating, so... Stay tuned and we'll certainly share stuff on the Green Left uh, radio page regarding any further sort of community pickets <laughs> or opportunities to go and uh, support the DP World workers. All right. Well, we we'll might um, just play a quick announcement and move on to some other news to cover from around the world. Actually, have a particularly a big discussion, I think, that needs to be had on this radio channel. <laughs> This is Irene Bolger, former Secretary of the Nurses' Federation in Victoria. Throughout the nurses' dispute in 1986 and the waterfront dispute in 1998, 3CR was always there, broadcasting the voices of workers in struggle. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio and we're broadcasting live from the Bay to Chicken Strike here in Melbourne. We've just seen all of the thousands of nurses walk through to their meeting and people from different unions showing their solidarity. 3CR. Radio for the workers, by the workers, since 1976. You're listening to 3CR Radio. All right, you're listening to Green Left Weekly Radio. Um, we were just um, we just interviewed Shane Stevens, um, the State Secretary of the Maritime Union of Australia in Victoria. Uh, about the um, DP world dispute. Now, I guess the next kind of thing we haven't really spoken about yet was the big news that happened in the past week, um, and that is that Boris Johnson is now the leader of the British Empire, or what remains of it, really. Um, and in How nauseating. Yeah, pretty nauseating, and essentially we're now... We're now in a state where two of the biggest kind of imperialist countries um, in the world, um, United States and um, Britain, are both run by essentially outright buffoons mm. um, who are, you know, have an alt- uh, outward, um, outwardly sort of, um, you know, far right or right wing kind of agenda. I mean, Boris Johnson you know, since getting, um, has been one of the strongest kind of supporters of a hard Brexit, um, and hard Brexit as in a Brexit, a Britain that basically deports, um, illegal immigrants, um, a hard Brexit that basically ensures the kind of racial kind of purity of Britain, um, or the national um, purity of Britain, because, you know, there's all these European nationals that shouldn't be living in Britain, um, and, you know, essentially has been, um, being, 
more to the further to the right of um, all the kind of Tory MPs um, are combined. So it is um, it is quite um, it is quite striking, um, you know, that we've kind of gone to this state. Um, and also, I think you know what has been quite interesting has been the response of Jeremy Corbyn and really the left. Um, in a sense that um, the less kind of response is that we need to mount a fight back against Boris Johnson in a similar way to Donald Trump, and that is a fight back um, on the grounds that we actually that a general election needs to be called because just like Scott Morrison, well, actually we did elect Scott Morrison eventually, but before um, um, in the context of the leadership spill, Scott Morrison wasn't necessarily elected um, by any real kind of mandate. Um, it's a similarly for um, Boris Johnson. He was only elected by as a leader because Theresa May resigned, um, and that and there was a there was a, a membership kind of vote from the Tories. There needs to actually, as Jeremy Corbyn says, there needs to be kind of a general election to really let the British people decide who they actually want um, as Prime Minister because there has been a clear loss of confidence in the current government um, of Britain, especially around the whole Brexit kind of negotiations, which is really what has led to this kind of situation where we, you know, where we can actually say Boris Johnson is the Prime Minister of um, the UK. Hmm. It's pretty scary. And when when's uh, the next British elections due? Well, I'm pretty sure the the system works quite similar to how um our the federal election works here. Except they're five year terms, aren't they? They are five year terms, but the but they they generally have to be called by the government at some point. Um, so you can easily have a federal election that is actually earlier than, say, a five year term. Okay. Presuming it's called um, by by the government. And of course, when what, was the last one? The last one was in 2017. Yeah. So essentially, you could have a situation. I mean, one of the situations that. Um, that befell the Theresa May government because Corbyn actually did really well, despite all the naysayers, mm. um, was that she never really had a, a full majority in the parliament and had to negotiate with um, the, the... Those right-wing scumbags from Ireland. Yeah. Um, and the DUP, Democratic Union Party. Yeah, the Democratic Union Party. And then in addition to that, there has been... Um, the crisis of Brexit and being able to, you know, negotiate with um, with the European Union around what Brexit. So basically, pretty much the Tories are not united on the question of, well, how do we actually deal with the, with the no, question of Brexit? I, I heard a bunch of cabinet leaders, like, resigned uh, once um, Johnson was elected. Yeah. So leader. essentially the Tories are coming in with a party that is not necessarily able to govern the country. But probably the reason why a general election hasn't been called, um, and this is why it's going to take lots of people power and mass mobilisations to make it happen, is the establishment, um, as in the capitalist class, do not want a Jeremy Corbyn government. Mm. Um, if this was an Australian situation where UK Labor was essentially the same as Australian Labor, I mean, there still are some similarities in many ways, but mm. of course, I don't think there's any left that exists in the Australian Labor, quite like the UK Labor. But if there was a, still a Blairite leadership... Yeah. Um, if there was still a Blairite leadership in the UK Labor, just like, you know, the Australian Labor Party, then a general election would likely be called mm. um, and pushed by the capitalist class because essentially... 
just like it is for every kind of capitalist country, Labor parties are always the alternative um, party of government. Um, Because this situation doesn't exist um, with Jeremy Corbyn's leader, the the capitalist class are stuck in this position where um, there's divisions on in the capitalist mm. class on the whole question of Brexit. Mm. I mean, there's some capitalists who probably would want a hard Brexit, but then there's some that would want don't want a hard Brexit. So mm. there's these divisions of the capitalist class. But what they are actually united on the capitalist class is they don't want Jeremy Corbyn in mm. as prime minister. So that's kind of the quandrum. That so that crisis Britain's- will only fester now. Labor have also um, just recently changed their position on Brexit too because for a long time they were sort of saying, let's respect the mandate, blah, blah, blah. They've kind of changed that um, and they're they're more sort of openly favouring a remain in the EU position and they're calling for a second referendum. Is that correct? Well, it's a bit bit complicated. I think um, in a sense, my, my position has been personally that I think a general election should happen first mm. um, because a second referendum has been actually been, I think, co-opted by more right-wing forces who have tried to sort of um, try to push, like the Liberal Democrats have tried to push this perspective of, oh, well, we have to, we have to, we have to, we have to, we have to find common ground between all three of us have to find common ground of like the Tories, Labor, and us, we have to find common ground. And so the second referendum has actually been pushed on that basis as a way of resolving um, the contradictions. Whereas I think the central thing should be the contradictions should be resolved by a general election. The people decide what they want to govern the country and then from there, Labor can decide on the mandate of what the, the social base wants, whether they go with a second referendum or go ahead with negotiating some kind of... Of Brexit deal. Now, there's a lot of, but the main issue for Corbyn um, in the um, the Labor Party has been they have actually sat on the fence in the issue, but it's also been, they've also been in a in a between a rock and a hard place because essentially their whole Labor base is split in a mm. sense that one um, part of their base is actually for Brexit and mm-hmm. one part of their base is for a second referendum. Mm. And the divide is actually interesting enough between almost like the urban and sort of rural kind of facts. So the more rural parts of England are for probably Brexit, whereas the more urban, like the people who live in the inner city, London, a lot, lots of young people actually are for a, a second referendum. So that's been kind of really, I think, the complications. Mm. Um, and then, and then, as a, a more radical sort of perspective, um, especially as a critique of the European Union, Another issue, though, is there's an argument that has been made by the left that, well, actually, maybe Britain is actually just better off not being part of the European Union because Corbyn's political program can't necessarily be implemented within the framework of the European Union. So there's that argument. But then the other counter argument to that is, well... Well, as we see with Venezuela, which is not part of a sort of similar union to the EU, once you're leave or you you know when you're not part of it, it's just super easy to implement a radical program isn't it there's no other like mechanisms that imperialism will yield to try and oh well, know, the, yeah, you. well i'm pretty sure you've been sarcastic there but yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah and but then the, the other situation is brexit is is the whole discourse of brexit is actually dominated by the far right mm. um and and also you can't you can't necessarily say that the british state is necessarily more progressive 
than a British state that is confined by the by the European Union. Mm. By a neoliberal EU. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, le- left-wing Brexit supporters are entitled to their view, but for me, that's the key argument, is that you, you Brexit didn't happen in a contextual vacuum. The context of Brexit was we need to leave the EU to keep all the dirty brown people out, basically. Mm. And so for the left to ignore that context and go, oh, yeah, well, maybe we can get out of the neoliberal EU and it will help us with implementing progressive policy under... Blah, blah, blah. Like, well, come on, like you, you've got to really look at... The whole basis of Brexit mm. is about racism, mm. so mm. it's really problematic territory for the mm. for the left to kind of find some yeah. way to. And I guess there's that another. Um, I think I could kind of envision a scenario where, if we envision a scenario where the radical left was stronger, um, then that could necessitate a break from the European Union. But I think it would have to happen in a way that's a bit um, concre- concrete um, um, or coherent, in a sense that. Like Jean-Luc Mélenchon in, of France actually put forward, you know, a reasonable decent sector. I mean, he's not the mo- he's not necessarily that radical, but he did put forward a perspective of, well, yes, I'm for staying in the European Union, but if I get elected um, and I I face constraints by the European Union, then mm. I would put forward a referendum of whether 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 we would um um mm. whether we would have to leave Europe. and that's a much different political context than say. So if, the, if, if France were to leave the European Union in that context, that would necessarily be progressive. But then if it left the European Union in the because, context of Le Pen yeah. getting elected as president and putting forward a racist agenda on why they should leave it, then that would be very popular. Yeah, it's not a good school. idea to try and jinjitsu this kind of racist Brexit and turn it into a, some progressive thing. Yeah, yeah. So I think, and mm. essentially, yeah, that's what would have to happen. There would have to be a very strong radical left in Europe that would have to push for that break mm. in the European Union on a it's kind of progressive Specifically ground. on that basis, like, like you say, and like Melanchon was arguing. Mm. Uh, and speaking of France, uh, we'll just make mention, uh, high-profile French journalists arrested for filming anti-Adani protesters. I'm sure 3CR listeners are probably familiar with this, but and just in case you're not, uh, two climate change activists who blocked access to the Abbott Coal, uh, the Abbott Point coal port in response to Adani's commencement of land clearing activities in the Galilee Basin have been banned from the entire town of Bowen until their hearing in September. Both activists, Matilda Hesley and Emily Starr, have no prior offences. This is the first time any Adani activist in the region has received a condition that prohibits them from entering Bowen. Both Hesley and Starr were staying in the Bowen area at the time of the arrest and now have had to locate uh, alternative last-minute accommodation. Both Hesley and Starr did not receive bail conditions that restricted them from approaching the Carmichael mine. The French journalists also arrested additionally received draconian bail conditions preventing them from approaching the Carmichael mine site or Adani offices. Their treatment by the Queensland Police Services has been condemned as a restriction of press freedom. It's an oppressive restriction of our freedom of movement, both Hesley and Starr have stated. It feels like they're using our bail conditions as a form of punishment. What happened to innocent till proven guilty? 
Frontline Action on Coal spokesperson states, restricting people from entering entire townships is ludicrous. Not only were these protesters acting in a peaceful manner, but this atypical bail condition is unfair to those who have never committed such an offence before. And, yeah, it will be interesting, I'm sure, the, uh, yeah, the, the people of France are going to be hearing about the, uh, these draconian measures. And I understand that those French journalists were dumbfounded by their arrest and sort of said, we've never been arrested like this in a nominally democratic country, uh, before. They were shocked. Yeah. All right, um, we might play a quick announcement and then move on to our second interview um, for the program. Guatemala, I'm Black Betty, and you can join me for Black Noise Radio each Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. Join me each week as I serve you up a deadly fine offering of all things black as we explore black Australia and everything fabulous it has on the offer. We'll check out and see what's making black news locally and from right around Australia. And we'll explore all things Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander and the deadly solid culture and people with a look at community news, views, music, culture and the arts. Hope you can join me for Black Noise Radio featuring black news, views, current affairs, music, culture and the arts from an Aboriginal woman's perspective. That's me, Black Betty. I'll see you Thursdays at 2. Help Precia support the rights of Indigenous Australians. They mean to save our culture and save our dreams, our footprints, dreams, our songline and keep our culture going strong. Of course, a lot of the Aboriginals, having been stolen, were put into state care and also others were... The recognition of what our people have been through in the last 200 years, the recognition of our culture in the last 40,000 years and the recognition of where we are heading into the future. Welcome to uh, Survival Day, Invasion Day. 223 years ago, the white man landed on our shores. Subscribe to 3CR and help keep Indigenous voices on air. Call us on 94198377 or visit 3cr.org.au. Subscribe now. All right, you're listening to Green Left Weekly Radio. Um, we have our second interview on the line um, now. Um, Sue McKinnon, um, who is part of the King Lake um, Friends of the Forest. Um, and there's been basically an ongoing campaign against logging in King Lake. Um, and so we have Sue um, in the sh- um, on the phone right now to talk about um, the local campaign that's happening there. So good morning, Sue. Yeah, hi, Jacob. Yeah, um, so I guess just um, can you explain, um, can you tell us a bit about the campaign and kind of like, you know, the, a bit of an overview of um, kind of the issues, um, you know, just for first-time listeners who are not necessarily aware of the campaign? Yes, so uh, this campaign's been going physically for over three weeks. We've, uh, community members have walked into the area that uh, Vic Forests are logging. They're cutting down the forest in order to supply a government deal uh, with a paper mill or uh, paper pulp. Um, and when community members walk in to uh, a work site like this, work has to stop. So this has caused 
this has caused a disruption to to contractors. Um, it's caused uh, traumatic um, trauma to the to the community here. Um, it, 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 it's just disrupting the whole community. Um, it, it's destroying our forest right beside our town, and um, and now it's got to the point where the government has put on 24-hour surveillance onto this operation because they just know that there's no social licence for logging native forests. And um, what has been... Can you tell us about um, how the campaign's been going in terms of what kind of community support you've sort of built? Yes, so... Well, this this campaign, I guess, started eight, 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 eight months ago where a where our group, uh, King Lake Friends of the Forest, start, uh, formed when we saw logging further up the road. So after that, we, um, we, we formed a group and we started uh, surveying the area that they planned to log next, and that's right adjacent to where six families live. Um, and then we also surveyed the next area that they planned to log, um, which is adjacent to another three families. And, um, and we found greater gliders in this, these two areas that they planned to log. And we recorded them and GPS located them and reported this to the Department of Environment and to Vic Forest and said, you can't log here. There's threatened species in here. It's not on. You're also going to increase the fire risk for these people because the young regrowth forest that, um, that grows after logging is, is, is more fire prone and burns with higher intensity than established forests. So we put all this to the government months ago, six months, seven months ago, and we got the typical one-liners back. Um, so the Department of Environment said, oh, we know that the greater glider is threatened, but we are allowing logging to continue in greater glider habitat uh, until we write the action statement for that um, for that process and, and until we get an action statement written. And Vic Forrest did the typical one-liner, oh, the government has allocated this area to us to log, so we're going to log it. So there was, there was no communication. There was no community meeting. They just moved in a few months later and started logging. And so it, it shouldn't have come to this, but it has, um, because the government's just been negligent in in communication. It's been reckless in what it's doing to this community and in increasing the fire risk to a community that's that's been through so much with, with Black Saturday. So um, I don't think they could ever expect the community to just sit down and allow this to happen. Hmm. Hmm. And um, can you, um, one of the things I, I want to hear from you about the campaign is... Um, you know, what has sort of your kind of analysis, I guess, in terms of this whole issue in the greater context um, of the whole climate emergency and climate change? Yeah, well, the government is cutting down our native forest um, right from, from, well, really from Mount Disappointment, so from Wallen area, right across to Borbor and from Nuji right up to... Uh, Eildon. So that's the Central Highlands. They've been cutting down this native forest for for years and also up in East Gippsland. 
all to supply a deal with a, with an international paper company. And so, so all the carbon that's stored in these the valuable carbon that's stored in native forests uh, is is removed and put into the atmosphere very quickly because it's converted to paper. So. The, the potential for carbon um, emissions abatement by stopping native forest logging is huge. And if you put it in terms of uh, the, um, the average value for carbon, um, you know, on the carbon um, trading scheme, you would be saving something like 40, $45 million per year if you stopped native forest logging in Victoria. Hmm. And um, and that's an incredible um, uh, contribution to our our carbon emissions um, requirements for Australia. And this is old growth sort of hardwood, yeah. It's look, it's established forest. Um, it's old. It's 120 years old. There's hollows forming. Um, uh, it's stable. It's already this particular forest in King Lake has already been through three major fires and survived. It's, it's, it's a resilient area of forest. Hmm. And the older the forest gets, the, the more resilient it is to fires. Hmm. And, uh, uh, and to, to, to cut this down now and to start again and, and say, you know, it's okay, we can wait another 100 years uh, to have a forest like this again is, is just not on. Hmm. I work as a carpenter and you know, it's not uncommon to have uh, Vic ash and, and Tassie oak and stuff like this, architraves and products like that in the building industry. And I don't know, it's it's difficult to know what's the most ethical thing to use, probably plantation pine, really. But it strikes me as particularly uh, just just obscene that, that these old trees are getting cut down just to get turned into paper pulp. Yeah, so um, in Victoria, when, they, when the government does uh, native forest logging through big forests, 87% of the wood taken out of the forest is delivered directly to, is, is, is used for wood chipping and most of that is used to uh, make paper. And that's the Reflex brand. Uh, so the, the paper company can make paper and does make paper from plantation wood and from um, recycled pulp. But it also has one single line that makes paper from native forest, and that's the line that needs to be converted to recycled pulp or, or plantation pulp. And that's all that needs to happen to the paper mill to convert it to completely you know, a, a responsible company. Hmm. But it gets our native forest such a good deal there's no impetus for it to change and to convert and, and I'm sure the government would help it convert if it wanted to um, and, and that paper company grows its own plantation wood and sends it overseas and exports it because it gets our native forest at mm. such a good deal so th- so it's not a matter of, of well it's not a matter of saw logs or, or uh, that, that's driving this, this native forest logging um, in regards to Vic Ash, uh, you know, I, I recommend that, that people, you know, use uh, FSC accredited timber in their buildings. Um, FSC accredited timber is is available. Mm. Uh, there's plantation hardwood available. 
just you know don't use big ash and don't buy reflex paper I think would be um, a, a really good contribution to to helping our um, our climate into the future <laughs> mm. yeah it seems like just such an obvious thing if we just stopped putting forests into pulp production then you could cut logging of of state forests by 85 percent yes 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 you could do that and i think you could stop logging of native forests completely because i don't think that that as a community we have to have vic ash anymore um mm. I, you know i know there's there's been a beautiful um panelling process done in the um melbourne convention center that uh that used uh, spotted gum, I believe, uh, plantation spotted gum, uh, uh, radially cut. It's, you know, we, we, we're smart enough to be able to use plantation timber. There's plenty of plantation saw log in Tasmania because hmm. they're well ahead of us in, in plantation wood in Tasmania. We've got plenty of plantation pulp wood in Victoria, um, so we can supply the, uh, the paper mill quite easily. Um, that that plantation pulp wood is wood chipped and sent overseas, um, you know, to create jobs overseas. And, and um, you know, it, it, I think it would be a smart move for Victorians to, to keep the jobs in Australia and, and also to keep our native forests and our wildlife and to make our native forest healthy so it's more resilient in the future. Mm. Um, well, know, we need we, more of it. Well, we need more of it, um, and we also need it to be more established because of the increased fire risk as we go into climate change. Mm. Um, you know, they, these forests create their own microclimates mm. and, um, and, and add to our water supply. So if you're talking, you know, native forest logging in Victoria, you're talking about logging in the water catchments for Melbourne. And every time you log... Uh, Regrowth follows, and with regrowth, it, there's an increased use of water. So the rain that falls in those areas gets taken up by the regrowth forest, and it doesn't reach our reservoir. Yeah, right. So Melbourne loses, loses out on water, and then it has to buy desal water. Hmm. Uh, and then pump salty brine out onto uh, the seafloor. Exactly. Out at yeah. one thaggy. The consequences just go on and on and on, and and there's there's no benefit for this logging of the uh, of native forests. The only benefit is to the international paper company, and who who can easily supply its own supply lines through its own plantation wood. Hmm. So yeah, so that's that's you know that's why we're so angry and we're so you know standing up for our forests and, and saying no. And look, communities all around Victoria have been saying no for years now, um, and it's just it's just that the the forest is running out, so the logging is getting closer and closer to where people live, and so the um, the anxiety is increasing. Hmm. And I guess um, to conclu- um, conclude the interview, I guess, is um, if there's anyone in in the rural kind of part kind of listening, um, how could people get involved in the campaign and um, what are kind of the future kind of plans um, for Kinlake um, Friends of the Forest? Oh, well, I, I think just keep, keep in touch with the Kinlake Friends of the Forest Facebook page that we have. Uh, there'll, be, there'll be more... Uh, 
rallies. We had a large rally last Monday uh, where we had oh, well over 50 people coming um, and, and standing on the side of the road on a weekday. We all attended the work site and, um, and actually viewed the logging and watched the mature trees falling down and crashing to the ground. It was a pretty heart-wrenching moment, um, but uh, certainly that, that destruction has now been witnessed. And, um, and, and this will just continue into the future. And it's not too much of a hike out of the city for people. Like, I'm from Newcastle myself, so I'm not super au fait with all the locations yeah. across Victoria, but it's not that far for people to come up from the city to support, yeah? Oh, no, it's it's 60 minutes drive, if, if that. It's probably 55 minutes drive. It's, um, it's just beyond Whittlesea or just beyond Hurstbridge, St Andrews. It's, it's not far at all. And, and, and that's the other thing about... This, this area, it's really, it's a really popular recreation area for, for the whole, well, for Melbourne, but for the, particularly for the northern suburbs, people will come up and, and um, ride their motorbikes through this forest, ride their horses through the forest. Um, you know, people don't go to cleared paddocks to ride their motorbikes. The forest <laughs> is kind of attractive. Uh, you may not go as say you, you're loving the trees, but people go for that atmosphere and that fun. And um, and for the area now to be you know just level, and there to be slash and debris all over the ground, um, the tracks that people use are just blocked off now. It's just taking away from that, and 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 it's been so good because you've got enough room for for motorbikes and horse riders and bird walkers, bird watchers and walkers, and everyone you know, dog walkers. Everyone uses this forest. But as the forest gets taken away, we're all getting squashed into a smaller and smaller area. And um, it just seems a shame to take away that, that beautiful uh, recreational release for, for people. Hmm. All right. Well, better wrap it up. But thanks heaps for talking to us and, um, yeah, giving a bit of a snapshot of all the interconnected economics and environmental issues involved here and uh, it's yeah it's good to see you sticking up for king lake forests and more strength to your arm yeah <laughs> thanks thanks for letting me speak all right cheers yeah. sue, okay, see you. bye see you around sue mckinnon there from king lake friends of the forests and we'll post a link and yeah as sue's saying it's not that far so if you get a chance uh, get up to king lake throw some support and uh yeah, get behind the community up there. All right, we better move on to the activists' calendar. You are listening to Green Left Radio on the Friday morning breakfast show, broadcast live on 3CR Radio, 855am digital and streaming live on 3cr.org.au. Green Left Radio is brought to you by the Green Left Weekly newspaper, providing a weekly source of alternative information which aims to inspire action to put people and the environment before profit. Subscribe to Green Left Weekly by visiting the website at greenleft.org.au or call 1-800-634-206. For new subscribers, it's only $10 for the first seven issues. All right. Um, you're listening to Green Left Weekly Radio. Um, it is... 8.03 a.m., which means that it's time for the activist calendar. Um, so the first event to announce is the annual Green Left Weekly Comedy Debate. Don't panic, there is a Planet B. Um, 
um, happening tonight at 6.30, dinner and bar available. Tickets are 50 30 $15 $15 at the Brunswick Town Hall, Sydney Road. And you can book your ticket on Tri Bookings. Um, but to be honest, it's you can buy tickets at the door. I'll just say you can just buy tickets at the door. Um, or you can phone 96398622. Um, but yes, um, there's plenty of tickets available at the, at the door. Um, but yeah, you better get in early or I can encourage you to just get in early. Um, to show you have a seat because it is, um, I'm helping organize the event and there's quite a lot of booking. So. Um, the next thing that'll be happening is on Saturday is there'll be a reunion, um, power, of, meeting um, organised by the Victorian Trades Hall at 10.30am at the Trades Hall, um, which is a bit of a kind of debrief after the federal election kind of result. Um, at 2pm, um, there'll be a, blo- a blockade, an IMARC um, organising meeting. Um, shut down, IMARC is an activist alliance committed to putting a stop to the mass destruction caused by extractive industri- industries across the globe and the harm they cause to communities and ecosystems. And they'll be at 2pm at the Trades Hall. Um, at when, two, when is IMARC? I'm, when is that conference? Oh, the last month of um, last weekend of October. So right. 29th to the 31st, I think. Um, but yeah, the aim is to be as big as S11, so which should be exciting. Um, at 2 p.m. also at the same time as that organising meeting, there'll also be. Um, and an event um, organised by the Melbourne and Social Justice and Environmental Educators um, uh, about experiences from... It's basically a sort of experiences from the United States um, of teachers who have been... Um, who have organize, helped organise some of the strikes. They're going to be um, reporting in from Skype to talk about what's happened there. And, then, you know, people who are tenants will be able to sort of, you know, debrief and figure out which, um, whether, how they can build such a thing in Australia. So that should be an interesting forum. And um, on Sunday, there'll be the Run for Refugees, um, organised by the Asylum Seekers Resources Centre. On Thursday, August the 1st, there'll be a film screening of The Life and Times of Frida Kahlo um, at 6.30pm at the Cinema Nova. Um, as part of, uh, as part of the Melbourne International Film Festival, um, there'll be a few screenings of Les Miserables, which is not necessarily, um, I've actually booked a ticket to see the film. It's, um, not necessarily, it's sort of, ba- it's based on the Victor Hugo novel. Um, it's not actually, it's not going to be necessarily like the musical, but more like the original novel but adapted to a contemporary context in Paris, so which could be quite interesting. Um, and then there'll be a f- public forum on Friday, August the 2nd, organised by the Multicultural Greens, Decolonising Environmentalism, and they'll be at 6pm at Library at the Dock, 107 Victoria Street. Um, oh, no, sorry, not Victoria Street, 107 Victoria Harbour Prenade um, in the Docklands. Um, on... There'll be, I think, another film screening as part of the Melbourne International Film Festival, Official Secrets, a true story about Catherine Gunn. Um, uh, there'll be the latest film by Ken Loach, um, Sorry We Missed You, as part of the Melbourne International Film Festival. Uh, on Saturday, um, so just search, go into Melbourne International Film Festival, go um, check out Sorry We Missed You to find the film screening times for that. Um, on Saturday, August the 3rd, um, There'll be free songs for FreeCR, a benefit concept for MSF, um, FreeCR's week, um, weekly world 
music program. That'll be at 7.30pm on Saturday, August the 3rd at the Abbotsford Covenant. Um, and then Monday, August the 5th, um, there'll be a public forum, The Hidden Hell for Refugees in the Heart of Melbourne, A Prison for Refugees. The Melbourne Immigration Transit Centre is located in um, Brad Meadows at 6.30pm at the ANMF 535 at Street in the city. On Friday, the August the 9th, there'll be the Uni Walkout for Climate Action, um, organised by the National Union of Students, um, 60 Bally Street in North Melbourne. Um, there'll be a rally, more trains on the upfield line, sick of our underserviced, overcrowded trains, get ready for our next action to promote more trains on the upfield line. They'll be at 11am at Bain Reserve at Merlinson Street in Coburg North. Um, and then there'll be a Fight the Right, an anti-fascist uh, um, day forum, 12 to 6 no- um, noon to 6pm at the Shreds Hall. Um, on Tuesday, August the 13th... There'll Can be- I just say about that, I've got a new band... And we're playing at that uh, Unite Against the Right um, thing. And I'm very excited. Mm. So everyone needs to come along to that. Mm-hmm. Um, there'll be a public forum, um, Tuesday, August the 13th, dismantling um, the digital um, dystopia. Lizzie O'Shea and John Postille in conversation about what history can tell us about both the... Pr- potentials and pitfalls of digital technology. So I'll be at 6pm Tuesday, August the 13th at the New International Bookshop. Um, and then there'll be a seminar, Latin American Fights, 10.30am to 6.30pm on Saturday, August the 17th at the Shreds Hall. And also happening on Saturday, August the 17th, um, there will be, there'll be, um, there'll be an action organised by Extinction Rebellion Moreland, um, a bike ride and, um, die-in. So the bike ride is intended to start at 10.30am from Moreland Station, like to go to a slow bike ride and then go in for a die-in at 11.30 a.m. at the Brunswick Town Hall. Word. It's all happening. It's all yeah. happening across Melbourne. Yeah. All right, so we might just play a quick few announcements and then we'll be moving on to our third and last interview. With- Indeed. In fact, before we do too, I'll just give a quick plug. Uh, there's an excellent article that's just been published on the Law Society of New South Wales Journal website, which is lsj.com.au. It's by Terry Carney, who used to be um, some sort of senior lawyer with the... Oh, here we go. He is the uh, He's an Amitrich professor at the, of law at the University of Sydney and a visiting research professor at UTS. He was a member of the Social Services and Child Support Division of the Administrative Appeals Tribunal for nearly 40 years. So when people are appealing something that Centrelink has done wrong, or DSS back in the day, uh, Terry Carney used to work in that department, right? Now, he's a legal eagle and has written a lot of stuff about, a few really good articles about robo-debt, and the latest one is... Bringing robo-debts before the law, why it's time to right a legal wrong. And a snapshot of this article, robo-debt lacks a legal foundation. It raises debts based on the basis of ATO averages of income rather than the actual fortnightly earnings as required by law. Some individual cases of robo-debts were invalidated by the Tier 1 of the Administrative Appeals Tribunal but these decisions and hearings remain private at that level. Centrelink did not once challenge the invalidation reasoning by appealing to the General Division 
of the Administrative Appeals Tribunal where the ruling would have become public, nor did it desist from raising debts on the basis of the invalidated reasoning or advert to those overrulings when pursuing debts in the Administrative Appeals Tribunal. So what you've got is Centrelink rotting the system, and it's a massive no-no, as we're quite aware here at 3CR. Uh, three years after RoboDebt commenced, a federal court challenge finally now is in train. I won't read it. It's a sort of meaty article. It's really well written, and it gives a really good legal overview of how absolutely scandalously shonky and wrong the entire RoboDebt system is. And my fearless prediction is it's going to be overturned, and there's going to be a lot of people getting repaid the money that they were wrongly forced to hand over to, to Centrelink. All right. right, we've got to get ready for our third and last interview for the program. Three CR broadcasters present over a hundred radio programs every week, including a diverse range of community language shows. Come to more than a three CR community radio. Please subscribe now. Just a minute, Ila. Ida three CR community radio araja al istrakel an. Ningal Ungalin Samuhavanoli, Trisiara y Kurt Kondir Kondir Hal, Rinri Nayingal. Están escuchando Radio Comunitaria 3CR. Suscríbete ahora. Netsuk Ketsek Radio y Gayaranin, Horatanguda Melbumi Hai Kaotin, Hima Arzanakrovetsek Iper Trisiari Antam. Support the station that gives your community a voice. Subscribe to 3CR. All right, welcome back. You are listening to 3CR. It's Green Left Radio. It's Friday morning. It's 14 minutes past eight, 13 minutes past eight, something like that. We've got Sean Bedlam on the phone. Welcome, Sean. Uh, oh, hang on. Here we go. I pressed the button. Sean, are you there? Hi. Yeah, we hey. hear you before. Yeah. Well, to give a bit of an introduction to Sean, we have him on this um, on the line because um, to promote the upcoming Green Left Weekly comedy debate. And Sean is one of the performers, um, and had, you know has been a pretty consistent performer for a lot of the comedy debates. Um, so yeah, Sean, what can you tell us about the um, upcoming Green Left Weekly comedy debate coming up this Friday tonight? <laughs> well, I've done a few of these, and this year I thought I'd try and something different and actually look up on uh, the Googles what debating is and how to do it. Um, <laughs> so this hasn't struck you before? Well, I, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What have you found in your uh, research? What makes a good um, debate? Uh, I had a look and I lost interest immediately and went off and did my own thing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, this is a pattern in my life. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. What do you what, what do you think? Um, I don't know if you're going to somehow try and incorporate this into your material tonight, but what do you think of um, Boris Johnson being elected the Tory leader this week over in, in Britain town? Um. 
this might be a weird view, but I think it's great that the Western world is now openly run by clowns. <laughs> mm, okay. uh, there, there's, there's no more defending it uh, in debate. <laughs> so would you describe your political views as accelerationist, given that you're happy to see people like Johnson at the helm? No, I just take, um, I, I take my comforts where I can find them. Uh. <laughs> okay. And yeah, and I guess going on to the, the what we were talking about before, while we have you in the program, which is the comedy debate that's coming up, and it's going to be at the Brunswick Town oh, Hall, six thirty p.m. Um, at eight p.m. start. Um, we've um, we've got we've come up with this theme: don't panic. There is a planet B, and I wanted to hear. Your commentary on that theme, um, Sean? Well, I think the, the idea that we're going to populate uh, Mars, for instance, is this idea uh, being presented to us by the same people who reckon uh, taxis are going to be replaced by uh, self, self-driven cars? I mean, that's what Uber is, isn't it? It's a bet that... Uh, we're going to completely get rid of uh, human-driven taxis. It's not safe technology at all. It's completely ridiculous. It's never going to happen. Uh, and the, the idea of terraforming Mars and moving people there, there's no, the technology for that just doesn't exist. And if it did exist, it'll be way off in the future. We're looking at a hundred years, something like that, for that to be a non-miserable outcome. Because otherwise, we're going to be living in uh, underground on Mars, like uh, rats. What's, so, what's wrong with living underground? Well, I'm going to have to. I actually, I suffer from claustrophobia, so I'm not, looking <laughs> to, I'm not looking to living in a coal mine. But that's what we're going to be doing to escape the uh, summer heat. What are you trying to say about coal miners, Sean? Um, quit your job. That's what I'm trying to say. Quit your job, coal miners. <laughs> but, but I think you know, um, you know, Jeff, um, Jeff, what's his name again? Jeff Bezos um, went on about how you know this is a really uh, awesome billionaire, you know, you know, CEO of Amazon, one of the greatest services in the world. He said that he's putting all his money um, into space because we are destroying the planet. And um, yeah. I really liked his emphasis on the word we. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if he's referring to himself or whether he, he was referring to us or whether he was referring to we as in his billionaire mates. Well, it's like it's uh, suddenly it's socialism when we you know, agree that we're not going to do anything about climate change. You know? suddenly, now it's everybody's uh, fault. Funny that. Yeah, I hate that guy. Yeah. So, what? What else? What else is new? How's what that? else is new? Yeah. What else is new is we're all going to die if we don't plant trillions of trees. <laughs> oh, I'm actually excited inch. about that. That's good news. That that mm. report that came through a couple of weeks ago about uh, trees being uh, uh, scientists were very surprised that. Um, there's enough space um, to plant trees and to plant enough trees to actually uh, slow down the worst effects of climate change, which is actually fantastic news. Mm. 
Yeah, we were just talking to someone before, um, Sue McKinnon, who's a community campaigner with King Lake Friends of Forests. Uh, the problem is, uh, before we replant the trees, we've got to stop cutting down the ones that are already there. Maybe we we can we can do both. We can destroy the world's forests and plant new new ones. I, look, I'm not an expert. <laughs> yeah. I'm not a doctor. <laughs> well, you can see it as like, oh, well, it's just like um, it's like you, it's like when you have a computer, you format win um, you format your computer and reinstall Windows. That's sort of what that's what we're going to be doing. It's like we're re we're going to just formatting. The planet. We're reformating the planet, and then we're going to re-extore. That's a good metaphor, Jacob. <laughs> Is it? What's the computer? What's going on? <laughs> but then, but then I think you know. What about what about the the prospects of Elon Musk, um, who I think is going to probably be a feature in this comedy debate that's happening tonight. I mean, considering he's on the poster. Um, yeah, he's on the poster. Um, considering he's going to, be on, he's on the poster, and mm-hmm. um, he his plan is he's going to get a ship us all. We're going to all just go into um, form colonies in Mars. We don't yeah. really actually have to worry about growing forests because we can just destroy the planet. And yeah, that's um, we're going to look back on this time as a really embarrassing, super uncool, very unhip time of. Just standing there and letting billionaires talk total garbage. Uh, yeah, un- unquestioned. Yeah, Elon Musk is another another clown. But, um, yeah, electric cars are good. Yeah, but electric. Yeah, yeah. Battery storage is good, but he's a clown. He, he shows that. Well, but then again, that's capitalism, isn't it? It's a clown making machine. It makes people very powerful, and power turns people into clowns. And the next thing, uh, they're telling you, we're going to, hey, everyone, we're going to move to a desert millions of miles away. <laughs> Maybe they should be more accurately referred to as the clown class instead uh, of the I'm, ruling class. That's, that, that's where I'm going with this. <laughs> ever, since, ever since Boris, Boris Johnson, uh, it's clown time. <laughs> the age of the clown. <laughs> the age of the clown is upon us. Uh, let the clown class tremble. Yes. <laughs> let them tremble hilariously. <laughs> uh shit. Mm. Yeah, we're doomed. <laughs> Hang on, did I say that out loud? <laughs> uh, and, and what about some of the local clowns? I see um, Pauline Hanson has been advocating for people to conduct... Uh, racist walks on Aboriginal landmarks this week. What do you think of that? She is just a horrible, awful, just an evil human being. (laughs) How long has she been doing this shit for? How long has she been going for? She's had time. You know, she has had enough time to be sat down with actual humans that can sit there straight... uh, yeah, with their little theories about how the world works. But no, since day one, she has just been a bone-deep, hardcore racist who doesn't let any new thought in. Maybe that's why her voice sounds like that. It's always shaking. She's always on the 
verge of breaking down. Like, it's like she's trying to fend off a massive psychic attack, and the psychic attack is, you know, just the truth about what's going on. Um, <laughs> but she's um, garbage. <laughs> yeah, I imagine that's quite a burden to bear. Oh, it must be horrible being her, and I celebrate that. <laughs> uh, yes. And what about this? Um, you're no doubt aware of the um, Jabwarung, uh camp. There's, you know, people wanting to walk on Uluru, people wanting to bulldoze um, sacred scarred trees up on, yeah. on Jabwarung country. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it sort of blows my mind and it, and it sort of doesn't because in this country we aren't taught that uh, what we call Australia was doing fine for, what, maybe 100,000 years, maybe more, maybe less, not 100, but, yeah, there are, people can argue about how incredibly long people were here um, with no record of imperial warfare, no record of mass bloodshed on this um, on this land, and uh, uh, meanwhile, our own, you know, so-called Western tradition, much much shorter period of time, and it's just been all mass bloodshed. Um, but yeah, we don't, we're not taught anything about this incredibly, incredibly rich and important history that's right here on this land. So we don't know anything. So we do stupid, ignorant stuff, and a lot of the ignorance is also. Uh, this is the bit that does surprise me, just how willfully destructive it is. Um, you know, I, I don't get the maliciousness. That's the one thing that even an understanding of systemic racism doesn't explain to me why people are, are, are so extremely maliciously all about destroying um, Aboriginal land. Hmm. It's horribly upsetting. Hmm. Disturbing stuff. Yeah. Well, if we want to, um, if we want to brighten our day or mm. brighten our night, we can all attend. Um, we can go and see Sean along tonight. Tonight and several tonight. other, um, several other comedians um, at the Green Left Weekly Comedy Debate um, at 6:30 p.m. at the Brunswick Town Hall for an 8 p.m. start tonight. Um, there's still plenty of tickets at the door, so you just show up. Although, if you want to book, um, um, in advance, you can just book on the Shrive Booking link, um, which is um, shrivebooking.com forward slash BDHTX. Come along. And, uh, yes, come along. It's very funny. It's funny. It's yeah. funny. And uh, Captain Snooze himself emceeing. Oh, don't, don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> it sets him off, doesn't it? Well, I don't blame him. <laughs> <laughs> We've got to let it go. <laughs> <laughs> Put it behind us. I mean, you make one million ads for beds, and that's all people remember. Oh, now I'm joining in. No, I love him. He's, a, he's brilliant. Yeah. yeah. He's a champ. He's, uh, yeah. There, w- there wouldn't be a stand-up comedy scene in Melbourne without him. Yeah. And Kirsty Mack, where the most... Um, yeah, infectious laugh in 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 <laughs> Melbourne. I would contend. Yes, uh, uh, an amazing uh, amazing comic and uh, a dear friend. 
Radness. All right, well, thanks for um, speaking with us, and we will see you tonight at Brunswick Town Hall. No worries. All right, rock on. Cheers. Bye. All right, Sean Bedlam there, who's uh, going to be performing at the uh, Green Left Weekly Comedy Debate tonight at Brunswick Town Hall. All right, we're going to finish up. Today is the 26th of July, and way back in 1953, a bunch of uh, revolutionaries waged an attack on the Moncada barracks in Cuba and uh, against the dictator Fulgencio Batista, and they formed what became known as the July 26 movement, and a few years later, on uh, New Year's Day 1959, they celebrated the Cuban Revolution. So it's an auspicious day. Get along. We'll see you at the comedy debate tonight. Stick around for Beyond Zero Emissions. And here is a bit of Buena Vista Social Club to finish up some Cuban music. Allí fueron 